Chapter fifteen of the Memoirs of Chateaubriand, seventeen sixty eight to eighteen hundred, part two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Memoirs of Chateaubriand, seventeen sixty eight to eighteen hundred, part two, by Francois Rene de Chateaubriand. Chapter fifteen. London, from April till September, eighteen twenty two. Crossing the ocean. The preceding book closed with my embarkation at Saint-Malo. Our ship soon cleared the channel, and the swell from the west announced the Atlantic. It is very difficult for those who have never been at sea to form an idea of the feelings experienced, when nothing whatever is visible from the deck of the ship except the solemn face of the deep. There is a certain independence in a sailor's life which arises from the absence of land. The passions of men are left behind upon the shore. Between the world which is left and that after which we seek, the element on which we are born is the only substitute for love and for country. No more duties to discharge, no more visits to make, no more newspapers, no politics. The very language of sailors is not that of common life. It is a language such as that spoken by the ocean and the sky, the calm and the tempest. You dwell in a universe of waters, amongst creatures whose dress, tastes, manners, and countenance bear no resemblance to the dwellers on land. They possess the hardihood of the sea-wolf, and the quickness of a bird. Their brow is traced by no marks of the cares of society. The wrinkles which traverse it resemble the folds of the shortened sail, and are less the effect of age than of winds and waves. The skin of these beings, impregnated with salt, is red and hard, like the surface of the rock lashed by the billows. Sailors have a passion for their ship. They weep with regret on parting from it, and with joy on returning to it. They find it impossible to remain at home. After having sworn a thousand times no longer to expose themselves to the dangers of the sea, they cannot resist returning to it again. As a young man is unable to tear himself from his beloved, even although she prove tempestuous and faithless. In the docks of London and Plymouth, it is by no means rare to find sailors who have been born on shipboard, and from their childhood to old age, have seldom been ashore. Their acquaintance with land is formed from the deck of their floating cradle, mere spectators of a world, into which they have not entered. In a life reduced to so small a space, the clouds above and the deep below, everything assumes the forms of life to the sailor. An anchor, a sail, a mast, a gun, are the objects of his affection, and each of them has its history. The sail was rent on the coast of Labrador. The master sailmaker put on the patch which you see. The anchor saved the vessel, when she was drifted, after the loss of other anchors, into the middle of the coral rocks of the Sandwich Islands. The mast was broken in a hurricane off the Cape of Good Hope. It was only a single pole. It is much stronger now that it is made of two. The gun is the only one which was not dismounted in the Battle of the Chesapeake. The most interesting news on board are that the lead has been just heaved. The ship is making ten knots. The sky is clear at noon. An observation has been taken. We are in such a latitude. The ship's place is marked. So many leagues have been sailed. The declination of the needle is so many degrees. We have gone further north. The sand in the hourglass does not run freely. There will be rain. Procellaria have been observed in the ship's track. Clear up for a squall. Flying fish have appeared to the south. The weather is about to become calm. A bright spot has appeared in the clouds to the west. It is a sign of wind. It will blow from that quarter to-morrow. The colour of the sea is changed. Pieces of wood and seaweed are observed floating. Gulls and ducks have been seen. 
a small bird has just perched on the shrouds a good lookout must be kept land is near and it is dangerous to come on the coast by night in the pen there is a favourite and so to speak a sacred cock which has outlived all the others he is famous for having crowed during a battle as if he had been in a farmyard amongst the hens below deck there is a cat which has sailed twice round the world and been saved from shipwreck on a barrel the ship's boys give the cock biscuits steeped in wine and malou has the privilege when he pleases of sleeping in the mate's berth the old sailor is like an old labourer their harvests are different it is true the sailor has led a wandering life the labourer has never quitted his field but both are equally well acquainted with and predict futurity whilst they plough their furrows to the one the lark the redbreast and the nightingale are prophets to the other the storm-birds and the kingfisher they retire in the evening the former to his berth the latter to his hut frail dwellings but the storm that shakes them does not disturb easy consciences if the wind tempestuous is blowing still no danger they descry the guiltless heart its boon bestowing soothes them with its lullaby etc etc the sailor knows not when death may take him unawares or on what coast he may lose his life perhaps when his last sigh has mingled with the wind he shall be launched into the bosom of the waves bound to two oars to continue his voyage perhaps he may be buried in a desert island which will never again be visited even as he has slept isolated in his hammock in the middle of the ocean the ship alone forms an object of interest sensible to the slightest movement of the helm a winged steed she obeys the hand of the pilot as a horse yields to the hand of the rider the beauty of the masts and cordage the activity of the sailors in climbing the shrouds and handing the sails the different aspects under which the ship presents herself sometimes heeling under the power of a contrary gale from the south and sometimes running all sail set before a northerly breeze combine to form of this almost intelligent machine one of the greatest triumphs of human ingenuity one while the surge with its foam breaks and dashes against the hull at another the peaceful waves yield a ready and easy passage to the prow the flags streamers and sails complete the beauty of this palace of neptune the lower sails in all their extent are bulged out like vast cylinders the upper ones crossed in the middle by the buntline resemble the bosom of a siren driven on by a powerful wind with her keel she furrows the field of the sea as with a ploughshare on this ocean road along which there are neither trees villages towns towers belfries nor tombs to be seen on this way marked neither by columns nor milestones whose only limits are the waves whose relays are the winds and whose lights are the stars the meeting of other vessels forms the most pleasing adventure except when one happens to be in quest of unknown countries and seas ships discover each other by their telescopes on the distant horizon and immediately take means to run close to each other the crew and the passengers crowd the decks the ships approach hoist their colours shorten sail and heave to as soon as all is silent the two captains stationed on their respective poops hail with the speaking trumpet what ship is that of what port captain's name whence from how many days out latitude and longitude a good voyage they shake out the reefs the sails fill the crew and passengers of the two ships look at each other as they speed on their course without uttering a word some are hastening to the climes of asia others to europe which will equally see them die time urges on its course and separates travellers upon land more quickly still than the wind separates them on the ocean 
a signal is made from afar farewell the common port is eternity and if the vessel met should be that of cook or la perouse the boatswain on board our malone vessel was an old supercargo named pierre villeneuve his name alone made me entertain a regard for him for it was that of my good nurse he had served in india with de Souffrin, and in america under count d'estaing and had been in several engagements seated in the fore part of the ship near the bowsprit like a veteran beneath a vine in his little garden in the convent of the invalides pierre whilst chewing a quid of tobacco which puffed out his cheek as if he had a swelled face used to describe to me the moment of clearing the decks the effects of the discharges of artillery the havoc caused by the shot in its rebound amongst the guns the carriages and the timber-work i made him tell me about the indians the negroes and the colonists i asked him how the people were clothed how the trees grew what was the colour of the earth and the sky and what the taste of the fruits whether pineapples were better than peaches and palm-trees more beautiful than oaks he illustrated everything by comparisons taken from things with which i was acquainted the palm-tree was like a great cabbage the dress of an indian like that of my grandmother the camel resembled a hunchbacked ass and all the people of the east and especially the chinese he described as poltroons and thieves villeneuve was from brittany and we never failed to conclude our conversation by praising the incomparable beauty of our own country the bell generally interrupted us in our conferences it announced the quarters the hour for dressing for the review of the crew for meals every morning at a certain signal the crew ranged in line on the deck exchanged the blue shirt they each wore for others which were hanging to dry among the shrouds the shirts they took off were instantly washed in tubs in which this troop of foci also soaped their brown faces and tarry hands at their midday and evening meal the sailors seated in circles with a bowl in the centre of each dipped their pewter spoons in regular and equal turns into the soup it contained which was kept in perpetual motion by the rolling of the vessel those who were not hungry sold their allowance of biscuit and salt meat to their comrades for a quid of tobacco or a glass of brandy the passengers took their meals in the captain's cabin when the weather was fine an awning was spread over the quarter-deck and we dined in view of the blue expanse of sea speckled here and there with the light foam raised by the breeze wrapped in my cloak i lay down at night on the deck and gazed up at the stars the swelling sails sent back upon me the freshness of the breeze which was rocking me beneath the celestial dome i lay in a dreamy half-slumbering state with the wind blowing upon me and the sky appeared to change with my dreams the passengers on board a vessel form a society of an entirely different stamp from that of the officers and crew they belong to another element their destinies belong to the land some are hastening to seek fortune others repose some are returning to their country some quitting it others are voyaging for the purpose of becoming acquainted with the manners and customs of different nations or of studying science or art there is leisure enough while they are thrown together in this wandering hostelry which travels with the traveller to become acquainted to hear many a story and adventure to conceive antipathies to contract friendships when among this temporary society there are any of those young women partly of english partly of indian race who unite the beauty of clarissa to the delicacy of sacontala then chains are wreathed united and disjoined by the perfume breezes of ceylon sweet and fleeting as they End of chapter 15